Bree. Uh, some of our people are missing this morning. Uh, there's somebody getting married very soon, Hannah. And there's a gang of them away this weekend uh, having a great time. So James chapter 3. And we'll begin reading just from verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Though they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and a bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things not ought to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Just let me take a drink. James Pennybaker who was the chairman of the University of Texas, Austin, Texas, of the psychology department. Uh, he was very skeptical of reports that had been circulating for some time that women uh, talked much more than men. And uh, that is a, a rumor, a bad rumor that somebody spread. And so he wasn't sure about it, and he decided to experiment himself. And he conducted his own experiment with 400 students, both men and women. And at the end of his experiment, he discovered that although men and women spoke very different things all day, entirely different subjects to each other, but yet the amount of words that they spoke were almost exactly the same. Roughly about 16,000 words per person per day. Now, of course, uh, you have to understand that is when two people are interacting. Obviously, if somebody lives on their own, unless they talk to themselves a lot, they're not going to talk 16,000 words. That's a lot of words, isn't it? I mean, you're liable to get lockjaw talking that much. One man, he wasn't too pleased with that. He says, the problem with that is, he says, I work all day and I use up all my 16,000 words, but when I come home, my wife is just ready to start her 16,000 words. 
Solomon wrote in Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. In other words, the more we talk, the more we will have the occasion to sin with our mouth. Someone has said that the tongue is set in a wet place, which makes it easier to slip. Now, James, who was ever the practical man, was very aware of this little member. And if it is not guarded and controlled, it actually can do a lot of damage. In fact, he is so concerned about it that he writes about it in every single chapter of his little book. In chapter 1, verse 19, he warns us to be slow to speak. Chapter 126 says, let's bridle our tongues. Chapter 2, verse 12, let's be careful how we speak. Chapter 3, verse 5, he says, our tongue boasts great things. Chapter 3, 6, it's like a fire, a world of iniquity. Chapter 3, 8, it's untamable. It's full of deadly poison. Chapter 4, verse 11, it's slanderous. Chapter 5, verse 9, it's a grumbler. It's a complainer. And so James, being a practical man, writing about practical Christian living, warns us of the dangers of the tongue. Think of the great boasting of men today. James talks about great swelling words and flattering words, pompous words, prideful words, trying to even to dethrone God himself. Atheists are coming out of the closets all over the world, and they're very bold and brazen that they're anti-God trying to dethrone God, saying that science is all that we need. Science is all the answers that we'll ever need. We don't need God. It's a delusion to believe in God. It's something, a relic of the unenlightened age, but now in the scientific age, we no longer need God. Great swelling words. Somebody has said that when Hitler wrote that book, Mein Kampf, his life story, that for every word that was in it, over 100 people died. Have you ever seen any of those old newsreels in the History Channel of Hitler standing in the Nuremberg with maybe a million people before him and he's standing there with those great swelling, pompous, prideful words that set the world to war. Matsi Tang, the, the late... Chinese leader of communism who encapsulated all of his words and his sayings into his little red book, the size of a little New Testament. And again, you maybe saw in the news, had millions and millions of Chinese all dressed the same, all waving the little red book of Matsi Tung sayings that ended up costing the lives of untold millions of his own people, never mind others. Great swelling words. One of the descriptions of the Antichrist in Revelation 13, verse 5, it says that he was giving, given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. The Antichrist will be a great orator. Uh, he will mesmerize people with his skills at communication. 
He will be on the world stage and people will be in awe of this man. Of course, he will be energized by Satan himself. Probably nothing reveals the heart more than the tongue. If you go to the doctor, he may ask you to stick out your tongue and he'll tell a lot of what's going on on your inside by looking at your tongue. And spiritually speaking, it is the same. We can tell a lot what's going on on the inside by listening to our tongues, by the words that we say. Psalmist in Psalm 19 verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, what's in the heart will come up over the lips eventually. And so James writes about the tongue. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, in Bible days particularly, a teacher was a coveted position to have. People held teachers in high esteem. And many of them, knowing that, became very proud and boastful and used that position to their own advantage. And so James, aware of that, remember he's writing to Jewish Christians scattered abroad. He's writing about the culture and the custom of his day, but the rule still applies to this day. And so he says, be careful about wanting to become a teacher, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So in other words, when you're a teacher, particularly of God's Word, you've got to be extra careful. Now, in the course of any given Sunday where I would preach two sermons, on average, I perhaps would average maybe three and a half or three and a half thousand or more words. That's a lot of words you've got to listen to, isn't it? It is every metal as big as a frying pan. And so I've got to share a lot of words from the Word of God. Therefore, I must be extra careful that I make sure that I am as true and accurate to the text as I possibly can be. I must avoid at all costs anything that would lead to heresy. I have to be very careful that I don't misappropriate Scripture or misguide you spiritually that would lead you on the path to ruin. And I dare not take that task lightly or carelessly. And that's why anyone who preaches and teaches the Word of God has got to spend large amounts of time checking and reference and rechecking and making sure as much as lies in you that you deliver the Word of God. And that's why you ought to check out the Word of God because the Bible says that we ought to do that. Not just to take my word for everything, but you check out in your Bible the Word of God. The Bereans in the New Testament, they tested these things to see that they be so, so they can stand to scrutiny. I'm not perfect man. I'm very imperfect. I've tried my 100% best to get it right, but you need to check out. You need to know your Word of God. You need to know the Bible. Any truth can be taken to extremes and it can lead to heresy. I mean, many cults today, many false religions began out of people taking God's Word 
and twisting it and taking it to extremes, taking it beyond what God intended. And it becomes a heresy that leads people to ruin. Listen, I have got to give an account of my ministry to God one day. And that's a fearful thought to think, but I have to do that. So we need to make sure what we're saying is right as best as we can be. In the wilderness temptations, you remember that Satan himself, he twisted Scripture. He quoted Scripture against Christ, against the very Word of God in the flesh. Can you imagine? And he took Scripture from Psalm 91, that great protective Psalm, the one that if we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that Psalm, he chose that one, and he took that one to say that if Jesus threw himself of the pinnacle, the angels would come in and lift him up, lest he dash his foot against the stone. And he took that totally out of context. And he's good at that. And he twisted that and manipulated that to try to tempt Jesus. But because Jesus knew the Word of God and knew what he was doing with it, Jesus immediately came back with him. And hit him up the face with Deuteronomy 6.6. Because he knew the word better than the enemy knew it. But that's what the enemy will do, you see. Sometimes he'll take the truth, but he'll twist it out of context to take you down a wrong path. So you need to be able to check the scriptures and get to know them. In Second Peter chapter 2. Excuse me. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who, brought them, who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow in their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So Peter's warning about people who will twist words and use deceptive words even to their own advantage. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, having turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And so Peter and Paul and James are all warning about making sure that we know the Word of God and it's not twisted by the evil one uh, to our disadvantage. 
James, having dealt with the tongue in a specific way regarding teachers, regarding a stricter judgment, he now makes the warning more general to all believers. Notice what he says, verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. I'm glad he says we all. I'm glad he included himself in that. We all stumble in many things. However, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man or a mature believer. That means, doesn't not talking perfectionism, but it means that we're mature. If we can be able to make sure that we can keep the tongue in check, then we'll be much more mature. He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Notice how the tongue, notice how our words can affect the whole body. Such a small member, but can affect something much larger than itself. In other words, its sphere of influence is not commensurate to its size. It's a small member, but it affects the whole person, the whole body, the whole being. Even more than that, it can affect the body of Christ. There's nothing can be so destructive or so uplifting than the wrong or right words in the body of Christ. So it has to be kept on a rein, bridled. James feels that the tongue is so important here, he wants to elaborate on it. And he wants to give us several examples about the tongue. Here's what he says in verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Now we know that that great horse, it may be a great thoroughbred, or it may be one of those big Clydesdale farm horses that are many, many hands high. Powerful, powerful animal. And yet, that little bit of steel that's put in the mouth, behind the teeth, in the soft fleshy part of the jaws, and the reins that whoever's on its back, if they just can yank those reins, then that great horse, that powerful animal, will go in the direction that the rider wants it to go. It's that little bit of steel, that bit in the horse's mouth, that does that. Again, commensurate to the size of the animal is a very small thing, but it's strategically placed. And as long as the rider has got the reins, then he can control that great animal by just a little tug or little yank on the tongue. Sometimes we need to yank our tongues, don't we? Sometimes we need to yank them and pull them into place and show it who's boss. Otherwise, it will want to do its own thing. So we need to bring it under control. Then he says, verse 4 and 5, Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. Great, massive ships. Tiny little rudder. And yet, the pilot, the helmsman, can move that great ship by the rudder. 
ships that are driven by fierce winds, he says, by tidal movements, by riptides, by eddies. But without the control of the rudder, it would be at the mercy of the sea and the winds. But that small rudder, controlled by the helmsman, can make that great ship voyage its way through the dangers of the sea. And so James says, we need to be able to take control. In a moment or two, he says, no man control it, but we'll talk about that in a moment. We need to be able to take control and make sure that our tongue's doing what it's supposed to do. Here's what he said, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. A few years ago, I was with Sally, we were over visiting her sister in Australia, and her brother-in-law, Harry, he took me out a drive one day, and if any of you ever been in Australia, particularly Western Australia, you could drive for hours and hours, and all you'll see is a kangaroo and shrub, that's, I mean, you could drive for days, and that's all you'll see. And he took me out to this area, and on, on, we drove up onto this mound, and he says, look around, all around you, back and front, as far as your eye can see. What do you see? I don't, I don't see very much. He says, do you know why that is? No. Six months ago, he says, everything, as far as your eye can see all around, was burned. It was burned. I says, not it'll grow again. But he says, it was burned. He says, we had the hottest summer we've had, I think it was in like 20 years, 100 degrees and plus many, many days. We're not allowed to use barbecues, no outside fires allowed because of the danger that we were looking at. And I said, well, what happened? Well, he says, a careless camper probably. Or somebody driving along and threw a lighted butt out the window, a cigarette butt, or maybe just a piece of glass lying underneath a shrub and the sun got it and magnified it. Something simple like that. But look, he says, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres, square miles actually, all burnt and destroyed. And I says, can you imagine... Can you imagine if you lived in the middle of that? That's why it's dangerous many times. Australians living near forested areas. In hot country, it's dangerous in any hot country. Because the chances are if the forest catches fire, your house is going to go up with it. And we've seen it all on television, haven't we? See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Just a little word can start a fire for good or for bad. And then chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Listen to what the New Testament, sorry, the New Living Translation says. And the tongue is a flame of fire, it is full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction. For it is set on fire by hell itself. These are stern, sobering warnings about our words. James is not, this is not casual he's talking about. This is serious stuff. 
He says it'll affect your whole life. It can destroy your whole life. It can bring it to nothing. In Proverbs chapter 16, <laughs> excuse me, verse 27 and 28, an ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife and a whisper separates the best of friends. And so James says that our tongue has got the potential, the potential to ruin lives just by the words that we speak. By the words that we speak. How much damage is done by the words that we speak? We see in, in, our, in our papers this weekend uh, how the chief whip of the Conservative Party has just lost his job after saying a lot of swearing at a policeman and other words that apparently he said. And uh, just in that moment of madness, and now he's lost his job over it and denied he said it, but now he's lost his job. See how far it can spread. And not only now has <laughs> he lost his job, but... Others now have come in on the back of that and now they're tarring the, his whole party with the same brush. <laughs> you remember the scandal with the, uh, uh, the, the accounts of the... Of the remember the, the members of Parliament, how they were uh, making claims for things that they shouldn't be making claims for and, and of course each party was blaming the other but the truth was they were all at it and some lost their jobs, some went to prison over it. And, uh, and they lied their whole way through it. And, uh, of course, they were caught. And, and so the, they were caught by the very words of their mouth. It became a snare to them. And uh, politicians today are struggling to get uh, anybody to have any confidence or credibility with them, uh, again, because of their words, the promises that are made that are never fulfilled, the things they're going to do that never happens, and the lies and all the rest of it. I know every time it comes to election, I stand here and say, I don't care who you vote for, but vote. It's important that you vote. And some of you are thinking, what's the point? Because sure, they just don't do what you said they were going to do. And I can understand that, but that's words, 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 words. James says it can be like a fire that can destroy the whole body. The tongue can be used by Satan to bring havoc. Peter used his tongue to say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. His tongue at that moment was energized by God. Jesus' flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. His tongue was energized by God to say the right thing. But that same tongue, energized by the devil, denied Jesus that he ever even knew the man. So the tongue can be used for positive, for negative, for good, for evil. And it can be very, very destructive. Once fire is unleashed, it continues unabated for days and weeks. In Turkmenistan, the Russian 
miners was drilling in this great crater. And the drill broke and gas started to escape. And they decided they would burn off the gas. And so they set, deliberately set fire to the gas to burn it off, thinking it would burn off in hours or a couple of days at the most. It's still burning. That was 40 years ago. And it's still burning to this day. You can Google it and find it. They call it the door to hell. <laughs> That's what it's called. You can Google it. You can see it's this great crater. And out of it is flames just leaping and leaping for 40 years it's been going. Why? Because oxygen, oxygen is fueling it. As long as it gets air and as long as there's gas, it'll keep burning. It'll burn for another 40 years. And James says that the words that we speak will keep on going and going and going. And if they're destructive, they'll destroy everything that they touch. For every kind of beast, verse 7 and 8, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So every kind of animal and bird and reptile has been brought under the dominion of man. Lions, bears, eagles, snakes, even whales have been either tamed or captured and brought under the dominion of man. But unless, unless by the help of the Holy Spirit, no man can tame the tongue. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God can this little member be tamed. And James says it is full of deadly poison. Imagine that. Full of deadly poison. Let me give you an illustration of that. You wonder why I set that chair out earlier, I'm sure. Our Filipino friends at the back will maybe recognize this. From Aita territory. Many years ago, I was given this as a gift. I preached at a church in the Philippines, and the pastor gave me this as a gift. He gave me one time a rainmaker, too. I says, Brother, if you knew where I came from, <laughs> the last thing I need is a rainmaker. I didn't realize, I thought it was maybe one of these kind of things that, you know, people believed in, you know. Remember the Indians used to do the rain dance to try to get the rain to come. But he says, no, no, it's a, it's a musical instrument. You play it in music, it shows you my ignorance. But anyway, anyway, this is about a piece of bamboo that's hollowed out on the inside. What is that? What, two and a half feet, two feet, maybe two feet long. And uh, you can screw the top of it. And when you screw the top of it, inside of it, is a blowpipe. All right, a blowpipe. And the blowpipe has got two, four, six, it's got eight. Dean, can you close in on this for me? It's got eight little darts. Can you see that? A little wooden peg with a little metal dart stuck on the end of it. 
and what some people who live in forested areas who perhaps have to live with the land, they would tip this little dart with poison, sometimes from a poisonous frog or other deadly poisons. And then they would put it into the blowpipe and then they would see a monkey on a tree or a bird or whatever it is and then they would blow it. Like so. Are you impressed? Do you know how many times I practice to do that? <laughs> just the one cycle. <laughs> so, even though that's just a short distance, but actually, and I wouldn't dare do this, but I could hit that far wall easily with this, probably go twice as far, because I just, just breathed in that. But if you really give a big blast, it goes a long distance. Now, if you imagine if that was a monkey or a bird or a small animal, and suddenly it was hit with deadly poison, how that would kill that little animal. And James says that our tongues are full of deadly poison. And whenever we speak those words, they can go a great distance and they can kill. They can really do damage. Somebody ever say to you, I hate you. I hate you. It's painful, isn't it? It's poisons, isn't it? I despise you. That's rank poison that just goes right into your spirit. It's awful, isn't it? They used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's not true. Anybody that's been bullied at school knows that's not true. Names can be very, very hurtful. Things that we say can do much damage, and sometimes it can last for years. A father telling his child, you're stupid. Apologies to our Filipino friends, that means you're daft here. I know it's not a nice word over there, but it means you're daft, you're stupid, you're an idiot. It's awful. A child's brought up to believe that it's an idiot. What chance has it got? of its own dad or mother saying that to it. James says that words can be very, very poisonous and, and, and spiteful and hateful. He says, guard your tongue. Watch what you say. Sometimes you have to bite it, haven't you? Do you ever have to bite it? It's not easy, is it? Not easy shutting your trap, as we say. And you feel like saying a whole lot more and you don't. Well, this is what James is saying here. It is full of deadly poison. And it's only by the help of the Holy Spirit that we can stop this. Romans chapter 3. We'll be finished just in a moment. Paul says in verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have become together, so they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and Bitterness. 
And so Paul is talking at people and how much damage and hurt and pain and loss they can cause just by even their words. Poison of asp is under their lips. His mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. If the bitterness is inside, if the poison is inside, sooner or later, it's going to come out over the tongue, isn't it? It's going to come out over the tongue. And then, in Proverbs 18, verse 20 and 21, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his lips. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. And so you see, it can be used for good, it can be used for evil, for right or for wrong, positive or negative. It depends on how we use it, on what we do with it. And then we're almost finished. Chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. With it we bless our God and Father. With it we curse men, been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. In the old Western movies years ago, whenever the cowboys fought the Indians, remember what the Indians used to say about the white man? White man speak with forked tongue. <laughs> In other words, he talks out of both sides of his mouth. You couldn't believe a word he tells you. That's what they were saying. And here, James is echoing some of the words that his brother Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, for example. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And so even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. And so James borrows that illustration from Jesus and uses it in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, I am brood of vipers, poison of asps underneath their lips, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to save yourselves. We have Abraham as our father, for I say that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these very stones." Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, Let your yes be yes, let your no be no, for whatever is more than these is of the evil one. So in other words, 
Let's be true and let's be honest. In Matthew 12, Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. And so Jesus has put in a premium on the very words that we say because the words reveal the heart. And that's why James also is having to say so much about our tongues because it reveals the spirit, the heart. Proverbs 16, 21, we'll close in a moment. The wise in heart will be called prudent and sweetness of the lips increases learning. 16, 23, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. 16, 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. And then Jesus, in John seven forty six, they said that never man spoke like this man. And in First Peter two twenty two, Peter talks about Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Everywhere that Jesus went, he spoke words that brought comfort and cheer and gladness and relief and encouragement and compassion. Yes, there's times he had to rebuke. Yes, there's times he had to speak words of rebuke. And they were necessary. But by and large, this is why the common people heard him gladly, because his words lifted up and encouraged and inspired and helped and blessed. And James is saying here to us today, be careful with our lips. Be careful what our tongue does, because it will have great effect one way or the other. And, and, we will be accountable on the day of judgment for our words. Let's pray.